welcome, welcome, welcome back to the poll party presented by IntelliCast. I'm your host, as always, Adam Dietrich. Hope you're having a good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. This is episode three, and as always, we are brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can follow EMI at EMI underscore research on Twitter, and you can Follow me at AC Dietrich on Twitter and uh, the Pole Party Pod at, at Pole Party Pod on Twitter. But before we dig into all of those things, we have a bit of an announcement. Hey Adam, how's it going? <laughs> I feel like the dude. First of all, two things. Uh, this is Adam Jolly, president of EMI Research. Um, you may know me from Intellicast, the big brother, the father of this poll party podcast. Uh, two things. One, I feel like you entered me in like I was the dude at the Apollo with the hook. We have a big announcement. I'm like, and I come in and hook you off. Yeah. But uh, second of all, you said uh, uh, your host as always. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a little funny. Right. Yeah. That leads us to our big announcement. Yeah, brother. Uh, Before the big announcement, I just want to announce the fact that I'm here. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Roy, Deneen, uh, Roy Deneen's also here. Uh, so, <laughs> so that is the big announcement. Um, Adam has uh, been with EMI for eight years. Um, he has another opportunity that um, I am happy that he has, and I, I'm happy to play a part, and I think the company is happy as well, to play a part preparing you for another place um and so with that with those well wishes and just how awesome life is going to be with for you um, something that doesn't fall into that new awesome life is the poll party yeah. and so uh being as is three weeks old uh we decided do we fail fast and just act like this thing never existed or do we keep the party going and so uh we're keeping the poll party going yeah. uh by bringing on myself and a new host a new voice to the EMI Podcast Network, and yes. that's Roy Janine. Yeah, newer music and newer voice. Uh, we're keeping the whole party going, even without the summer. Yeah. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at research underscore Rory, swooping in with the Twitter name. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Look at that. Um, so that, that's kind of our big announcement. So moving forward, it'll be myself and Rory uh, on a weekly, bi-weekly, tri-weekly basis. Um, sometime. Sometime. <laughs> Going to the same types of things. Uh, but uh, you blaze this path for us, Adam. This, this is your passion. We hope we can run with it. I'm sure we're still going to have you on as a guest. Uh, and I would expect the same things. We're, we're going to keep going with the news, really sticking to the poll news, not any type of party or partisan type uh, opinions. Um, and I'm excited to get started. Definitely. No, I'm, I'm excited for where this thing is going. I feel like it's getting better every week. Um, and we do have some great guests already aligned, lined up, too. Uh, we've got somebody from the Republican side of polling talking about climate change, which I think is going to be really a really interesting conversation about you know something that's... Uh, more, you know, considered a liberal topic being discussed by Republicans. We've got some folks from the voter file uh, side, as well as some some partisan and some journalist uh, coverage of polling guests uh, lined up for the next few months. So I am going to be missing the poll party. I, uh, I will be taking my floaties off, taking the umbrella <laughs> out of my drink. Uh, but I'm excited for where you guys are going to take it. And uh, thank you for that kind introduction. But let's Get started with the news. The first thing, guys, we have an outlier, and we're oh, calling yeah. it an outlier. Yeah, Monmouth, who is uh, considered an A plus uh, pollster by 
Nate Silver and 538. They're also one of the polling uh, institutions that the Democratic National Committee is using for their uh, debate qualifiers. Came out with a poll last week that had uh, Sanders, Biden, and Warren all basically in a statistical dead heat. Uh, And it got, it raised some eyebrows. Uh, It only used about 300 uh, likely voters. And Biden's lead was gone. And so, as you can imagine, there was some Twitter outrage. And Patrick Murray from uh, from Monmouth came out and said, uh, hey, guys, we may have messed this one up. Uh, I thought Nate Silver wrote a really interesting description and summary of of the events. He basically said, you know, if you if you run the, if you crunch the numbers, about one in twenty polls should be a statistical outlier. Uh, he talked about the fact that people in our industry have dealt with this for a long time and they've kind of always swept it under the rug or just not acknowledged it. Um, but here we are, a very high profile outlier. We're still yesterday was the five month exact day until the Iowa caucuses, so it's not like this is you know a month before the general election, but what are your thoughts, Adam Jolly? Yeah, I'll start off. Um, I think that outliers happen, and I think uh, it's just like anything. Like, you need an outlier to know where the averages lay out sometimes. Um, I asked a question this morning. We were looking at some of, like, our data here, just our inside, like, sales data. And I was like, should we take out the highs and lows? Like, should we just look at what the average is? I'm like, no, because that doesn't really help our variability. Like, you want to know, like, what is the range of outreach, right? (laughs) And I know, like, a a lot of times, so, like, if you're in the Biden camp, and you have, if you remove the outliers, then your range of outrage varies because let's be honest, like good news means the same as bad news a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So if you have a month, so Biden right now, another poll we'll talk about later has him as a national average is like plus 12 points right now. Mm-hmm. And so if you have him, if, if one month he comes out and he's plus 20, you have to react the same as if you come back and you're plus two. Right. Right. You have to have that varying degrees of chaos, that varying degrees of separation. And that's what outliers provide you with is like, it's never going to be perfect, but you react to the same to that huge, great news that, oh my gosh, we're up 20 as you would up to. You can't just react to the bad things. And that's why I think outliers are important because they go both ways. Right. But I feel like we've got a media narrative now where everybody tries to see everything as a trend. Right. Yeah. And so Biden has a couple gaffes, then a bad poll comes out and we start doing the, oh my goodness, Biden is starting to sink. He's not going to win this thing anymore. He's not the runaway front runner, runaway front runner. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we, we have examples of this on the corporate side, um, you know, all the time where people will run studies again. What do you, what do you, what, what, what do you think the right call is, Rory? Is it like, should Monmouth have just sat on this and not and not released it should they because there's no there's not really a schedule to these things right like yep. they can they can just not release the poll they can run it again and everybody's kind of infighting about what they should have done what, do, what are your thoughts like what, what what do you think the right step is not just for monmouth not for emi but for the industry as a whole i'm glad monmouth published it and came out with it um, and acknowledged it as an outlier. I think that that's not something you see all the time. So it's important that we're acknowledging it. And the more we're putting out this information and not necessarily saying this is completely right, but really giving all the facts behind it and really understanding where it's coming from, um, then you can't go wrong. You're not saying uh, we're completely right. This is the way it's going to go. You're saying this could be an outlier, but this is the way it sits. And this is the way the data stands. This is what our sample size was. Um, This is what it maybe should have been um and it's you constantly see this in the world of science where they're putting things out there and saying this is not necessarily right we're going to go back and do it again but we want to make sure that this is out there and you see that this happened 
That's awesome. Roy, like to think about like other data that you see, like how do you, how do you deal with, or like, uh, we have this happen in surveys, like regular surveys, not even polling stuff, right? Like somebody will come back and be like, this isn't right. Right. No, regular corporate research. Yeah. yeah. Like, what do you suggest to people? Do you suggest that they do it over or that like keep it in mind? Well, I think the easy thing to do is always to get rid of it, right? And say, oh, you know, that's not the way people really feel about right. my product. That's not the way it really looks. Um, but why are we doing that? Maybe, maybe that, that is an opinion we need to look at and, and take for take into consideration and move on with and uh, really understand. And I think we even see it just in the corporate world on a daily basis. You can't say that, oh, that just happened one time. Um, right. It happens mm-hmm. for a reason. Let's take a look at it and understand it. And that's true. And that's what I think maybe there that might be the difference a little bit between like to me, like when we're in market research and we're testing like a concept or something, that's what really what polls are too. Right. right. Like we're yeah. testing like products just as you are people. It's a snapshot. And like, yeah, yeah, it's a snapshot of a moment at a time. Yep. Right. I think maybe the one thing that that is different with polls and why there might be some some leaning back, and Dietrich, you could talk a little bit about this, is because of how we publicize polling now and make polling news. I mean, that's why this podcast exists because polls become the news mm-hmm. and how much of a bias could it out to the reactions of an outlier poll have on voters pack spending money that type of stuff right because like you said like this poll comes out from Monmouth right yeah and it's you know three ways high Biden's blown this 12 point lead mm-hmm. put that on Fox News what happens I know my Facebook <laughs> is awesome like what else happens to that right so from a campaign perspective kind of Putting on that hat, um, Biden starts bleeding donors. Right. Uh, the corporate backing, the, the big money donors that maybe haven't been so keen to jump in with a Bernie Sanders, um, maybe have kind of towed the line with, with Elizabeth Warren, they immediately get in. Uh, so those two immediately have huge fundraising advantages over Biden. Anybody that becomes legitimate will immediately see – and. Pete Buttigieg in Q2, right? Yeah. Un- unknown mayor, small town, uh, has a few standout moments, and everyone's like, oh, this young guy is pretty smart. He could beat, you know, he could beat Trump, and boom, 25 million bucks yeah. in, in Q2. Uh, so that would be the first thing. The second thing would be like a complete – you think about running this company or driving your car down the road. If you oh, don't, are those the two things you associate me with and Roy with? <laughs> so you're like, Adam, what's Adam do? Run the small company. Which Roy do? Drives her car down the road. Nope. Yeah. That is not, not people. <laughs> you eat candy bars. You eat yogurt. Yeah. I love it. Any situation, whether simple or complex, uh, regardless of whomever you are, is becomes more difficult, becomes more dangerous when you're sh- under stress, right? Under trauma. You blow a 12-point lead, you're going to be reactionary. The campaign will start throwing punches. I mean, uh, a huge outlier like that, especially if it was corroborated with the second or third poll, would mean, you know, they'd probably end up firing high-level staff. Uh, there'd be a, there'd be a lot going on there, and it could make a huge difference. A single outlier, I think everybody knows to wait and see. Also, we're still five months before anybody votes, so you've got some some time to kind of react, and you don't have to do everything in the moment as if it were a general. Um, but yeah, it's it makes a big deal. It makes a, it makes a big difference, um, but not as much of a difference as our second topic can possibly or probably not make, and that is the upcoming Democratic debate next week. Uh, Ten people on stage. 
we've seen a few people drop out since uh, since the last time we spoke. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Can, the way I want to structure this is not, who do you think is going to have a good debate? Who do you think isn't? Will the debate make a difference for anyone? We saw Kamala Harris make a good jump after the first debate and then China kind of came back down a little bit. Nobody really had a huge second debate. Do you see anyone going up over three points on average in this debate? Remember, 10 people on stage, so no one's really going to have a ton of time. Uh, yeah, I could see that it, that it's kind of waiting out a little bit too. Like I, I would love – we talked in, in previous where we talked about if like the strength is there, right? So mm-hmm. if you have the big five all on the same stage at once – like, what does that do? Mm-hmm. Like, that probably doesn't bode well for, like, Yang or, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. that type of thing to where I feel like it was good for him to have 10 people on the stage because it was, you know, he never had to go against the big five at the same time. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you're not watching the debates, and like, say if you're, like, just follow it on Twitter or something along the way, or if you're somebody that gets, like, wants to watch, like, the sports center version of the debates the next day, yeah. <laughs> like, you're not going to get the sound bite right. from Mayor Pete, probably. Right. You're going to get the... Soundbite from Warren, the soundbite from Bernie, the soundbite from Biden, the soundbite from Harris. From the things. Yeah, yeah, from the the sexy moments where right. they, yeah, where they go after each other. Someone right. delivers a great line, and, and so that's where I feel like it's uh, it hurts the the six through ten candidate pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know who five is anymore after uh, Beto dropped the f bomb this weekend. To me, <laughs> moved up to two, but um, I don't I don't know. Um, that's where I think it helps. Um, will anybody see a huge spike? Um, I think if it's going to be a huge spike, it'll be somebody that tries to distance themselves from the pack mm-hmm. and where it's just like anything else. Where do you get the market share from? Right now? I, I agree. What do you think? I think I would agree. I don't really see there being anybody that's going to jump all that much. I think 3% is a, is a pretty big jump and I, I'm not really seeing that that's going to happen. Um, I think the interesting thing, parts that Ajali mentioned are really going to be the sound bites and all that kind of thing. And, right. and kind of seeing, uh, these 10 candidates on the same stage for the first time. Right. I'm, I'm excited about that. I don't like the fact that we're going to have everything in kind of nugget sized, fun sized bites again. Um, but this is the last time I host this podcast. So I'm going to throw a hot take out there. I think you talked about stealing market share. Yeah. I think Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg are going after Joe Biden's market share, which is low thirty, low to mid thirties. Yeah, one of them's going to break through. I'll, I'll say Pete Buttigieg. Don't. I I'll say I'll say he will he will reach double digits for the first time in sixty days in the week after the next debate. Hot take, first and last on this podcast. You're going to write it in the permanent marker? I will. And guess what? If I'm wrong, you can't follow up. Uh, The last bit of news, Trump approval rating declining in some battleground states. This is from Morning Consult. uh, And it kind of follows up on the heels of a really well-sourced and interestingly written piece this weekend in the Washington Post by Dan Balls, who's a brilliant uh, political writer. He basically says, he, he talked to some campaign managers from both sides, but most specifically Jim Messina, who ran Obama 12. Uh, they are basically saying it's all going to come down to four states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Florida. Basically, those four voting populations, which were all decided by, I think, less than a percent in, in 16, 
are going to decide the 2020 presidential election. Do you guys agree? Do you think we should do all of our polling in just those four states over the next 18 months? And what does it kind of say that there's like really only going to be four major, major toss-ups this time around? We'll let Roy start off with this one. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't think we should be just doing our polling in those four states, I think completely based on time. Um, we still have a lot of time. We have a lot of data to collect. Um, but I do think that these are going to be the four states that we want to keep an eye on and we want to watch the polls for um, and make sure that these are not changing as well as other ones are not changing. Yeah, I I think, I think it's kind of naive to assume that the Republicans and Trump aren't going to come after New Hampshire. Some of the, the, the states that Democrats have won recently, I think they, they, they mentioned New Mexico, which I think Hillary won by six or eight uh, in 16. Obviously, I think Arizona is quite a swing state. Um, we're recording this from EMI HQ in Ohio, which is kind of a swing state. It used to be. We pretend it is. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's... I actually think that maybe we do only need to poll in six states. Uh, um, <laughs> like I think about Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, Arizona, and Ohio there. Um, although I don't, I mean, yeah, Hillary did win Arizona, but the attention that the senator race got last year really boosted up the, made it switch over to more of a red state. Ohio, yeah, always has been a blue until the last few elections, national elections, and still it's so much um Everything, you got Cleveland, you have Columbus, you have Cincinnati, and those will always be blue counties. But then, you know, look at Hamilton County now with the last election getting Shabbat, you know, turning flipping red for the first time in a while. Um, what's going on with, you know, Cuyahoga and things like that? Like maybe that turns more um, red, but um, I still think those are the ones that count. And, and really, it's just like it's more of a... To me, it's more of a cause of the tribalism of the states that we have, right? right? And so if you ask somebody, name me three blue states, like if you would ask that question in 1936, the same as you would in 2036, they're going to say New York, California, California yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be the same three every single time. Yeah. And then same thing with red, you're always going to say uh, Texas or, you know, pick your Bible belt. Yeah. Um, that, that what you're going to say there. And so I do think it's, these are the ones that count. Um, and everyone racing towards that magical number of, as long as we have the Congress, like that is what you count by. Right. Yeah. I think, um, Arizona, just to, to clarify is that that's a crazy one. So Kirsten Cinema won that, yeah. uh, that election last time. She's like a, uh, moderate Dem. Um, but Trump won Arizona by a couple points in 16 and it's trending the other way and then Nevada it's kind of yeah. yeah I so I don't know I as to what as to whether or not I don't know should we should we have as many national polls as we do right now probably not right. should we spend more time focusing on these I don't know call it 10 overall states I think so but at the same time it's still really early you know and that yeah. we yeah, yeah, and yeah. we do have that excuse of recording this this yeah. far out well, that's what that's the thing I don't get. I mean, you probably like we'll probably dedicate a whole episode to Ohio later, but like Ohio is <laughs> Brian Lamar guy is like thirty minutes of Kentucky talk. But it's it's so wild to me because like like I said, like you have the three cities that are always blue, mm -hmm. but then you have Mike DeWine as a very red Republican governor, mm -hmm. but then like one of the most powerful senators is Sherrod Brown, yeah. who is an awesome like up and coming like probably 
not this wrong, but next election, probably 2024. Maybe. Yeah. Running for some kind of presidential candidacy. I think he put some feelers out there and didn't like what he was getting yeah. by. But, uh, and so he's some very powerful, like, things going in both ways. And then there's always that thing with the, the Chappelle thing where Ohio's Native American for land of poor whites. And it's like, who does that appeal to? Like, where are we going with that? And right. what color is, you know, is that red or is that blue? And so, uh, I think Ohio does opportunity. I don't think it's a lost cost for everybody. So that's why I would add that to the six. Um, but to me, it's, it's Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida are, are the four that matter the most because they, they're the most volatile and carry the most electoral votes. Makes sense. Rory, people don't know you yet. You're from New York. Yes, I am from New York. Solidly blue state, but potentially, you know, there's some chatter about senatorial runs and, and gubernatorial runs. And now everybody knows your background. But what do you what do you think to put a bow on this? Do you, you mentioned that we can't get too bogged down into a single state. But the fact that a state like New York is, you know, always going to be a you know, eight plus point win for a Democrat presidential. Yes. Even even with a guy in the White House, White House from New York City, do we run the risk of like focusing too much on on just a handful of states? What do you What do you think? It. I'm a everybody should matter kind of person. I like so, it. I, oh, so, oh. so part of me is like, oh yeah, no, we definitely should be including everyone. But mm-hmm. and the reality of it is, is that, you know, this costs a lot of time and it costs a lot of money. Right. Yeah. So we can't be doing things that don't matter. Right. That, that, that's a, that's a, I, that, sorry to cut you off. That reminds me of, we have clients that have products that are, uh, something like, uh, they make shoes for children. Right. So it's children and parents, right. That, that could ever be buyers. And yet they have quotas for age 65 and over. Right. Or maybe yeah. I guess grandparents buy kids for shoes for their kids. But you get what I'm saying. Skateboard brands, whatever. You don't need to have a quota on 65. Now, now the old people are going to think that I'm anti out, like active lifestyle <laughs> for the elderly. Um, you get what I'm saying though. Right. If, the, if, if you know what an audience thinks of you, why are you asking them? Right. Um, so I think, I do think that, you know, as much as, you know, us New Yorkers really want to be asked a lot of questions. You guys just like to talk. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely want to talk, but we're not the, we're not the focus. Um, you know what we're going to choose. We know where it's going to go. Um, so you really should be focusing on the important places, but we are far out. So you can't really discount anyone quite yet. I like it. And that takes us to the ever-important online poll of the week. Uh, you guys need to get some music yeah, there for that. Yeah, we'll I, get some better. That wasn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't too good. Uh, this one comes from Morning Consult. It is their uh, weekly, what they call, political intelligence tracking survey. It's online. It's uh, with over 5,000 registered voters each week. Uh, they ask all kinds of 2020 questions. But the thing that I wanted to talk about is... Not the usual horse race stuff. Uh, we see, you know, in this poll, we have Joe Biden at 32%, Bernie at 21%, uh, Warren at 17%, Kamala at 7 Tom Steyer, that's a new name, at 6%, and then Pete uh, Buttigieg at 4%. Uh, but one of the things that I really hadn't dug into yet this cycle was tracking favorability and name recognition. So, Rory, as the new person from New York, according to this data... What percent 
of the population do you think has never heard of New York City Mayor and Presidential Candidate Bill de Blasio? Oh, I am the wrong person to ask this because if you look at my my Facebook or Twitter or any sort of feed... It, does it all say all, hashtag fix the subway? Yep, yep. <laughs> and there's something about license plates over there too. Um, so... What if I told you 25% of the Democratic primary voters had not heard of Bill de Blasio? I wouldn't be shocked. I guess that makes sense, right? Only 9% say they haven't heard of uh, Elizabeth Warren. Doesn't de Blasio have the highest uh, unfavorability score he, also? He does. Yeah. He does. He you think it's because of his height? Combined 27%. <laughs> no, I think it's because of the subway. I, I mean, <laughs> you got to think, like, there's no, again, as Rory knows, there's no louder voice than that of a New Yorker. I mean, think about, yeah. like, where all the media centers are and things like that. And so he's a low approval rating mayor of a town with a big microphone and he's paying for it. I don't know. I thought that was a fun one. Um, one of the interesting ones that I, I really, really like. Wasn't that, I mean, couldn't you kind of say the same about our president? Yeah. Like there was no, like there's a reason. I mean, Hillary, yeah, also from New York. Very high election, But, and also maybe, yeah, very high unfavorable. But at the same time, like, like if you ask someone from New York about, you could say at that time, probably Trump was probably one of their favorite, most famous citizens. Right. And ask them what they think about him, just like the mayor, they would tell you. Right. Right. Yeah. And so they're doing that with Bloomberg. But because he's a Democrat, it hurts him. De Blasio. De Blasio. I like sorry. what you did there. Yeah. I like oh, what you same. did there. They're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> they're all the same. Um, and so, <laughs> but uh, I mean, if you're, it's just that it didn't matter that Trump lost that state. And, and maybe it was like, but then like the popular vote doesn't matter. You know, right. so like it, it's a, it's almost it hurts de Blasio running as a Democrat in this presidential election yeah. uh, with basically the same type of uh, opinion of his home city, home state. Right. No, right? That's, I agree. that's totally true. I um, I've got another fun one from this data. We talked about uh, about Tom Steyer moving yeah. into potentially probably going to be on the next debate stage, not the one in early September, but the. October debate, uh, he's he just hasn't had enough time to, yeah. to fill enough polls. But um, he, as I mentioned, is up to 6% in this morning consult poll uh, and has surpassed Pete Buttigieg. Guess what percentage of the voting population per this tracker has never heard of Tom Steyer? 30. 43%. Really? He's the highest, he's the highest never heard of uh, by far. And yet, it's up to 6%. And he's got loyalists, right? And well, like, he's also got a ton of money. He's yeah, living yeah, yeah. on the airwaves yeah. in, in Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, and I don't know. I don't think he has a really unique message, but he's very wealthy and has the resources to get on TV. I think this will be a short blip uh, as some of the other folks that have fundraised well over the last couple quarters kind of start getting serious about their ground game and, and getting on TV. Uh, but I just thought it was amazing. That's... I didn't think I would ever say this, but legitimately, if you're one of those top five, top six, you need to watch out for Tom Steyer. This oh. guy has, he still has the opportunity to make a first impression with a lot, yeah. of, a lot of primary voters and isn't doing so poorly thus far. Um, but now, in EMI tradition, one last time for me. We're doing a Mount Rushmore. Yeah! Yay. I love it. Adam, you want to introduce us? Yeah, so this is a Mount Rushmore. Um, 
So we, uh, Roy and I are so happy to be taking over this podcast and take all the promise and all the things that we thought it was going to be and actually make it live up to. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so that, so, uh, we wanted to do the best new host of the best host takeovers. So the best, I, I guess, you know, every show has some point, if it's a good show, that it lasts long enough to see a second host or to see somebody else come in and start. And so we wanted to go, who are the best takeovers for hosts? And I'll start off with Dietrich. Give me one. Okay. The best replacement host is Conan O'Brien that one week before Jay Leno said, I'm coming back. I thought that was... I I don't really care about late night television. I know, like, sports writers in their 40s are really into... See, see, Adam (laughs) Jolly. Adam Jolly's really offended because he's really into late night. Uh, You know me. 37, watch it late night, listen to Bruce Springsteen. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I I thought that was amazing. And I also really, kind of speaking of of another placement, when James Corden came in and he, in his very first episode, he, uh, like, interviewed all of the failed other hosts and had, like, Leno and and Jake and and Conan and and all that kind of stuff. And I thought it was just a kind of a seamless way of kind of poking fun at at all the, the drama of these guys that tell mediocre monologues at 11.30 every night. So not that's my bad. first That's my first replacement. Favorite. Not bad. Rory, who do you have? This is not necessarily a replacement because they replace every week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Justin Timberlake on SNL <laughs> over and over again. He kills it. <laughs> he is a great host. Yeah. He, man, he's up there. He is the Frank Sinatra of our time. Acts, so. dance, sings, cool guy, men want to be him, women want to be him. Uh, my my first is uh, John Stewart. John Stewart was the second host of The Daily Show. Oh, yeah. Craig not, took over for Craig Kilborn. Is that who it was? Yeah. Craig Kilborn. Now it's Trevor Noah. <laughs> yeah, and I so. didn't have him on my list yet. Yes. <laughs> got a great shot to be it, but John Stewart is on my Mount Rushmore. I saw Trevor Noah. Do stand up before he was famous. I knew knew that kid had it. I knew that kid had it. Uh, I got another one. I'm going to show my range here. Uh, Kelly Ripa replacing Kathy Lee on Regis and Kelly. Well, what became Regis and Kelly? Yeah. I like that. Uh, Kelly Ripa was, oh, I had a huge crush on her for a long time. And then, like, all the stuff came out that she might not be the best person. Oh. I mean, I Oh, she got mad at Strahan, right? Strahan, everybody, anybody. Yeah, but she now she's, like, she, now she's, like, all about her kids, so she's a, fam- yeah. she's a family woman. She and Mark Consuelos. Well, I've seen her in the like, Electrolux commercials. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. Christmas morning, Kelly Ripa. Go ahead, Rory. Okay, so this is another one that's off the beaten path, but I think that this is a future one that's going to be great, and it's going to be sad, we're all going to cry. Oh, no. But Alex Trebek. Oh, no. The Jeopardy takeover. I think it's going to be really sad and terrible, but he's already... The reason I'm saying this is because... He's already what? No! Finish it, Rory! No! Oh. No, no. <laughs> because he's talking about it. Right. Oh, so therefore, yeah. I'm going to talk about it. It's safe. Because it's he, yeah, it's the only reason I'm okay with this. But he says oh. that he wants the LA Kings announcer to take over, and I think that's incredible. Huh. Is that Alex Faust, right? Yep. Nice. Guys. Alright. So um, I'm gonna try to bring this back on track. 
uh, and go with uh, Drew Carey. Drew Carey took over on uh, The Price is Right, took over for Bob Barker. Come on. And uh, kept the skinny microphone. That he did. That he did. You know what? That's a pro move. Yeah. So there you go. Drew Carey is on my list of best takeover host. I'm in on that. Well, it is with a heavy heart that we've reached the end of my final Pull Party podcast. But don't fret, dear, dear listeners. Uh, I have all the faith in the world that these two are going to continue. The only way this podcast can go, which is up, uh, thanks to my, I'll say, mediocre start. Uh, but sincerely, listeners, thank you for joining me on this journey over the last month or so. It's been really cool uh, to have this idea kind of gain some traction and some legitimacy as we look at how polling and public opinion research is going to change leading up to the 2020 election and further. And uh, I hope uh, you all keep in touch. Again, you can follow me at AC Dietrich. You can follow Adam Jolly at Adam Jolly. That's J-O-L-L-E-Y. And Rory Deneen can be followed on Twitter at research underscore Rory. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that's one so hard to spit out. But going forward, again, uh, follow Poll Party Pod at Poll Party Pod. Email us at pollpartypod at gmail.com. Or, and this is important, leave us a voicemail. 312-620-7187. Tell us about what polls you want to talk about. Tell us what topics you want us to address. Uh, these two, you're in good hands. Uh, I look forward to listening to you guys every couple weeks. Uh, thank you again, and uh, pull party it up. I'm ready to have this pull party. Maybe an indoor pull party in the winter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it gets cold. Iowa yeah. caucus night. Mm. <laughs> Ooh. Never, never warm. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.